0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: I'm listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855
2: on your AM dial. I'm
1: Marsha Barron at
0: Indiana University. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagengruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3 a 55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Today I'm speaking with Associate Professor Anik Waldo about personal identity. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. So could you tell us, what is your definition of personal identity?
2: Well, to be honest, I don't really have a definition. (laughs) I can tell you what the, the question of personal identity is concerned with. And the way I usually explain it to my students is that there are two dimensions here. One concerns the question, how can we tell that someone remains the same person over time? So so it has a diachronic dimension, ask for a change over time and how we can then account, despite this change, for the identity of the person. Usually then you look for criterion or a standard or something that defines whether or not something is still the same, although it apparently changed. In the case of personal identity, we're talking about persons apparently. The synchronic dimension of the problem looks at... Well actually you can think of the self as being composed of different aspects and when you then ask the question about personal identity you're concerned with the unity of the self. So you look at one moment in time and then wonder how it is that things or certain aspects of yourself, let's say you think of yourself as a very smart person and then you might think of yourself as some well, uh, something else for instance as a, as a witty person and uh, and then you can say well, how do all those different aspects relate and how do they form what I take to be a person or my own person
0: mm. So what inspired you to study personal identity?
2: Well I came to this question through my interest in David Hume who's a 18th century philosopher, he's also famous for his scepticism and His theory basically challenges the idea that personal identity is grounded in the existence of a soul, and the soul here stands for the thing that is commonly taken to remain the same over time, and also the thing that commonly unites the different aspects of the self in one unitary substance. So um, I was interested in finding out more about humans. He's a philosopher who has written a very obscure appendix on the question of personal identity. And I think my interest in personal identity emerged when I tried to understand better why Hume thought that when he was dealing with a question of personal identity uh, he couldn't provide a satisfactory answer actually so so the puzzle really uh, challenged me and i wanted to find out more about it and that's how i got to study the problem of personal identity in the different theories
0: what what do you I mean you mentioned a soul before what what is a soul
2: <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> Since I'm a Humean, I would say, I don't know, <laughs> because he's sceptic. He's a sceptic, and he he's sceptical about the existence of the soul, which means he's not straightforwardly denying that there is a soul, but he's more arguing along the lines of, or he questions whether or not we are justified in believing that there is a soul. So, but the position that he challenges has it that the soul actually well, it is a. It's a, it's a. We're talking about the 18th century here, and according to many theories, the soul was conceived of as a, an immaterial substance, and the immaterial substance was taken to be fundamentally different from the substance that is taken to constitute the realm of nature or the body, even. So here, then, uh, dualist conceptions of mind-body come to mind. On the one hand, you have the body. On the other hand, you have the soul. And then, again, you can ask the question of unity. What is the self? Is it defined by bodily attributes or is it defined by uh, mental attributes? And interestingly, when you ask about the soul, what really interests me, and uh, which is fascinating especially when you look at theories of the 17th and 18th centuries that people when they talked about personal identity they, they traditionally wondered about the soul whereas these days we and and this happened with the theory of um john locke uh, actually in the 17th century That there was a shift from our concern with the soul to the concern with consciousness and actually awareness of the self and Related to this, one can say in modern terms, the mind. So there's a shift from the soul to consciousness to wondering about the mind and then, of course, wondering about how the the, the mind and my awareness of my thoughts and feelings relates to who I am. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I know in uh, religious teaching, the the soul is very important and, and it's a way of distinguishing between human and non-human animals. And I always was told that people have a soul but other animals don't, and I thought, well, if, if my dog doesn't have a soul, I don't want one either.
2: Yeah, that's a very contentious topic, especially the time I'm dealing with, um, the, the, the the standard philosopher always cited when it comes to denying or elucidating what it means to deny animals a soul is Descartes, and Descartes is famous for the doctrine of the animal machine. and. Well, there's a bit of debate in the literature about whether or not he really denied animals, for instance, um, sentience, or whether he was just interested in providing a, what we call a mechanical explanation of certain phenomena such as perception or movement or even sensations. And, but traditionally, or I would say the, the standard reading of Descartes. Suggests that he said, no, animals don't have a soul and they're just machines, they're just bodies and therefore one would also be bound to say they don't have a person. And this question of what a person is and how it is differentiated or the question or a person, the concept of the person is taken to be something very different from being a non-human creature also comes up uh, in the theory of John Locke whom I mentioned before he recognizes that even we as human beings have an identity that concerns our body and when he talks about this he talks about more or less our animal self so basically what holds us together or what what makes it possible for the different parts of the body to function together and to to so so questions of life come in here but he takes it that the question of personhood comes in at a completely different level and so he too he denies animals or he denies that they have such a thing as a or they can't be legitimately be described as persons and so they can't have personal identity which doesn't mean that we cannot say that animals remain the same but that then concerns a different matter and again for for Locke the idea was that what constitutes a person is actually the person's consciousness of herself and what figures in this consciousness and he thought that with animals that is actually not the case that we could talk about animals in that way.
0: So does imagination play a part in personal identity?
2: I would think so because as I said just now in Locke for instance passages read that the consciousness or what you take to belong to yourself as a person or what constitutes you as a person what makes you the person you are is basically what figures in your consciousness and if you think okay you can think about things of the past then you would presumably engage in memory but you can also think about things that will occur to you in the future or you can have certain desires you can sort of extend your present awareness to the future and think of yourself as a person in the future. And for instance in contemporary um philosophy and the philosophy of for instance of David Wellerman, this plays a crucial part of how we actually enact our self conception and there not just values that figures in our self conception play a role, for instance, what I think is important for me as a person to do. So there's the whole moral ethical dimension coming in here. So, so, but also what, where I want to be, what I want to do, and there are certain causal links that connect the present with the future, and the imagination is capable of sort of making available the future to the here and now. So I would say yes, the the imagination plays a crucial role in the question, or in in trying to answer questions of personal identity.
0: Now yeah, you mentioned the memory so I know memory does play quite a large part in personal identity being able to remember things that have happened to you in the past but say for example somebody who's actually lost their memory do do they take on a different personal identity or do they lose their personal identity? That's
2: an excellent question and abundance of literature on this question uh, both in contemporary in the contemporary debate there uh, are those so-called thought experiments about teletransportation and some parts of the brains are lost so they're all thought experiments experimenting with the idea that there is an agent who loses the capacity to remember uh, who he or she was just before an accident occurred or a per- surgery occurred or a teletransportation went wrong or something like this And some authors argue, yes, once you, and they they take themselves to stand in the Lockean tradition, they say, well, as long as you can, or if you lose the connection to your past, then it might be true that you become another person. So what this implies is that, for instance, the continuation of the same body, minus the brain that might have changed, doesn't play a role in Answering the question of whether or not someone um, remains the same and the same holds for the idea that there is a soul one could perhaps and for instance unlock this plays a role the way he sets up his thought experiments and he says that okay it might well be that there is a soul that remains invariably the same but as if, if it if it is the case that we cannot remember um or we have no way of accessing a different state of consciousness. For instance, he talks about nightmen and Dayman and if nightmen cannot connect in his consci- consciousness t- with daymen, then they are two different persons. So, yeah, the, 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 that definitely is a is a burning issue here when we
1: talk about personal
0: identity. I know, even myself, my personal identity has dramatically changed throughout my life. I mean, even when I have a profound conversation with someone. I totally change my mind on different different aspects that I thought were were sort of set in concrete in my mind. And then I would say, because I have different views and a different outlook on life, that uh, my identity has, has changed. Now, would this be the same for other people?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think where we come closest to a view like this is, Again, in David Hume, the one with whom I started, the one who challenged the idea that there's a fixed remaining thing enduring over time and that this constitutes personal identity, for him the self is a bundle, a bundle of episodes, of mental episodes. So he talks about thoughts and feelings or attitudes or beliefs or values, um, um, as I figured in your example just now as actually being part of this bundle self and they come and go and come and go and so he denies that we ever remain the same so he he is a skeptic when it comes to the question whether there is a an enduring self but nevertheless recognizes that for us it is very important to think that we do actually exist as the same person so one can approach these questions in different, uh, from different angles. So one would be the psychological angle where you ask what kind of function does the belief in the self as an enduring person play? Um, and then you can say, is this belief actually justified? And other approaches and uh, recognize that there is flexibility in in how we actually think about ourselves and also our relations to others play a fundamental role. And so, so, so the challenge here is to say, well, although there is a certain degree of, of variability involved in how we think about ourselves, what is then the question is, what is the threshold? When do we, when do we say that there is too much change that has occurred? Um, so, I think a lot of theories dealing with questions of personal identity actually have an inbuilt component where they can deal with um, a flexi- certain flexibility in how we think about who we are but then at a certain point you've got to say something about what are the core values for instance that constitute yourself and if that those values change is it justified to say that this is another person and the thought experiments are usually designed to bring out those those questions and dilemmas.
0: Now why do you think it's so important to some people to have a sense of personal identity?
2: (laughs) Yes Probably to do with our psychology that we used to to maybe it's just just a natural way of thinking about oneself that there there is a one could perhaps call it a focal focal point or somewhere where everything comes together. It's quite interesting work that's been done by. Some of my colleagues at Macquarie University, and um, uh, one article I have in mind brings in the case of a schizophrenic person and for this schizophrenic person, the way she wrote about herself she she became a professor um i'm not sure in which area but she she's an academic so a very uh, self reflective and in her biography autobiography she she writes about how it was for her when she actually lost her sense of self and in those passages, it seems that everything is just out of contr- out of control. There is no sense of time, there is no sense of space even, and everything is mixed up. And it's almost as if this person describes her mind as just being full of some 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 sort of incomprehensible things or noises that all mingle together. So why it is so important for us? Presumably, and here Kant would. Pres- Properly need to be referred to. The self has a structuring role in how we experience the world. It sort of provides a, a stable point that um, organizes the way we experience the world. And so I think um, actually, well, Kant would presumably say there is a. It's an enabling condition for. Uh, it, it is a necessity for the possibility of having experiences of the world that we experience ourselves as self. Ourselves, ourselves. So, um, yeah, I think this is just the way we are. And, of course, the thing I haven't talked about is the, the moral uh, dimension, that in order to actually answer questions such as, what shall I do in this particular moment, it is important to be aware of who we are and what we believe in and how these values figure in our self conception.
0: It, it seems, a, I suppose, a very I have a very rational way of thinking, and every time that somebody changes and sort of evolves from the person that they were, it's sort of almost like a death. And when I look at photos of my daughter when she was a baby, that that personal identity of hers has gone baby daughter has gone and then she sort of you know grows into a teenage daughter and then onto a daughter in in her 20s and when I look back at old photos I think gee you know that that person and might be holding her favorite toys or something that meant so much to her at that time but it's long gone and forgotten and it's like as if we have several thousand deaths throughout our life and and then I thought I've got quite a few family members and friends as well that I probably haven't seen for maybe 20 or 30 years and they might come along to my funeral. But because I haven't had much contact with them probably the last 20 years, they don't know who I am now. So they would be grieving for a totally different person and I thought, well in a sense they should be grieving for that person now because that person has has died maybe 20 years ago but the new person that I am they can't relate to me so I just think that it would be quite irrational for them to come along to my funeral and be upset when the person that's actually died they don't know who I am
1: yeah that's right I think
2: that's an important consideration that actually we all think that we change and perhaps it's true that we're not the persons that we used to be. And the only thing that connects us with this person is probably just just that we can remember that we once thought that way and behaved that way and were acting in the way that we're not acting anymore. So I think that's very important and it might vary from person to person how... Actually, open they are towards the possibility of becoming a new person, despite the fact that we still have memories. We still seem more or less seem to be able to access this past person, which seems to be different from how we interact with persons who are not us, (laughs)
1: like
2: other people. So it seems to be a tricky case because there are parallels that remind us just of how how it is when we deal with other people because we cannot connect, they're different. But what seems to be fundamentally different is really these tricky bits of having conscious awareness of what we once thought. So, yeah, so I think it depends on how you think about what a person is. And if you think that, for instance, certain, let's say someone had very different values 20 years back and now is different behaves different lives differently speaks differently and so on and so forth then one could say this is another person but then of course you would hold a person out a theory of personal identity where the fact that you're conscious of what you once thought doesn't play a major role and there are those theories that more look at what your practical identity is your your practical identity in terms of the values you embrace and the, the 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 way you act in the world and how you interact with other people.
0: What is the connection be, between scepticism and personal identity? Yeah, I think exactly
2: the questions that we were just talking about. It it may I mean depending on what you take. To be the thing that constitutes the person, you can be skeptical about whether or not it exists, for instance, traditionally, I referred to this uh, towards the beginning of this interview that traditionally people thought that there is a soul, and that the soul is actually the thing that remains the same, even though you might have changed like going back to your example, your daughter grows up and turns into another person she 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 's completely different, she is not her past self anymore. But then, once you adhere to theory where, people, where 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 the claim is that the soul constitutes the self, you and you then say, well, my daughter presumably has the same soul, and you would be forced to say, well, she's the same person. And you can be skeptical about actually the thing that some people say constitutes the soul, as for instance, or constitutes personal identity, as for instance, the soul, in some theories, or you can be skeptical about or be more radically skeptical and say, well, I actually doubt whether or not we can speak of a person as ever lasting for more than just a moment. Then we're back to David Hume, who suggests something along those lines in his um, um, theory. So I think there are different degrees of skepticism, but they all concern more or less the question of whether or not we're justified to think that there is such a thing as a person that remains the same over time. Or even as I said before just in one moment, are we ever a unified self?
0: Mm. So do, do you think that plants and non-human animals have personal identities and, and I suppose instinct might come into that, mightn't it? Because I know a lot of other animals go more on instinct than what humans do. I think we've lost a lot of our instincts, haven't we? Yeah,
2: that's right, but we still have some. (laughs) (laughs) But I think in the literature, um, people usually discuss these questions, and I I mentioned Descartes, for instance, in uh, the literature there, it comes out quite distinctly that the question is, well, what can animals do and how, if we suppose that they can think, what kind of capacity needs to be in place in order to think of yourself in ways that allow you for instance to have certain values to embrace certain values or another thing would be to remember what you did yesterday so certain mental capacities have to be in place so and then depending on whether you think plants can think you would need to say well they presumably can't remember. Well, there's literature that claims that plants have some sort of memory. So there we go. So perhaps we, at some point, we need to think, rethink the concept of a person as such. And if memory plays such an important role, then perhaps we will come to different conclusions about whether or not it makes sense to talk about the identity or even something like a personal identity in those tricky cases. But. I think the traditional way to think about it is that you require something like self-awareness. Self-awareness, what does that mean? Well, that you're aware of your thoughts, you're aware of your feelings and you do not just have them. So that would be something like first-order thoughts and feelings where you just happen to have them and often people then speak about instincts or I feel hungry, I feel thirsty and that's why I go and drink something or eat something. And that seems and 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 those kind of occurrences in the mind seem to be differentiated from, for instance, something like I know that I'm angry right now, but I should presumably not act uh, on my anger. So uh, this this is some sort of self-reflective awareness, some sort of second-order take on what's going on in your mind. And often people seem to associate the question of personal identity with this form of awareness that we have. We are reflectively aware of what's going on in our minds. And this is something that seems to be important when people talk about personal identity or the question of what a person is, actually.
0: No, it's a very, very interesting topic. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. You're very welcome. Thank you. And I've been speaking with Associate Professor Anique Waldo about personal identity. Hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought. And also, stay tuned for Swing and Sway.